0: The you are
1: listening to why the truck are you ready to truck and welcome to your nooner with dooner welcome to monday Welcome to Monday, and you know, we just had some breaking news come through the wire. This show was going to start off a little bit decently, but differently, but my coworker, John Kingston, he's out on the scene in Delaware. There's a breaking news in the case between Forward Air and Omni. I think we have him on the line right now. Let's bring him up and see what the decision was that happened there. John, what, what's going on over in Delaware?
2: Well, okay, so let's go back a little bit. This is if Forward Air announced, I believe it was in August, they were going to acquire Omni. Uh, Forward Air is a publicly traded company. The stock market very much did not like that deal. Absolutely tanked the Forward Air stock. Forward Air tried to get out of it by alleging that Omni had failed to do some things required for them in the due diligence. Um, and they were unable to settle and were, they went to court. They were going to court in Delaware, Chancery Court, because like a lot of publicly traded corporations, uh, Omni is a as a Delaware corporate, excuse me, uh, for, uh, Forward is a Delaware corporation. So the the trial was supposed to start Friday, and I came down here on the train Thursday because there was supposed to be a little bit of snow. I live, of course, outside New York City. And this little bit of snow, this little piddly bit of snow, canceled the events for the day. So I went back on the train and went home. And then I drove down here this morning, and uh, the case was supposed to start at 9.15. At 9.15, they announced a delay till 10. At 10, there was mm, a lot of lawyers out in the hallway, and nobody really in the— uh, in the courtroom, and so I, uh, I had a feeling that maybe they were going to settle. And the judge came in maybe about ten fifteen, ten twenty, and uh, it was announced that the deal had settled. So um, I tried to speak to various people. They were, uh, they wanted to wait for the announcement that came out, and it came out a few minutes later. The formal announcement that in fact, Fort Air will be buying Omni uh, under some different conditions than uh, different conditions than originally were agreed to. And uh, the stock is up quite a bit today. So the first word of this, uh, this settlement came from us uh, on my Twitter feed, which was then retweeted by the Freightways Trucking Twitter feed. Um, and the stock popped on that like right away. Uh, the number of the figure I heard was 13%. Because it's just a lot, of, you know, the market doesn't like uncertainty. So once the, once there was a settlement, there was certainty. So uh, anyway, they're going to go forward. They're going to probably close in the next few days. And uh, I guess I'll need a special reason to come back to Wilmington, Delaware.
1: Yeah, forward goes forward. Deal went through. At one point, this was worth over $3 billion. How much value was lost during this fight? You mentioned the stock is back up, so oh. that can all be restored. But how much value yeah, was lost during the
2: fight? I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it was let's say huh, you should ask Todd Maiden, but uh, who's covered this along. But yeah, yeah. I think it was at least half, half a billion, and it could be as much as a billion. I mean, they, 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 you know, at the end of the year, at the end of calendar 2023, I did a uh, every every at the end of every quarter, I tweet out uh, stock performance of logistics and trucking companies, and Forward Air was absolutely the worst last year. No, nobody
1: wow. was even close. Wow. All right. Well, you know, I might have to and, have and all,
2: all that took place in the last, like, four months of the year. It's not like it was a year-long decline.
1: Yeah. Well, John, great work. I know that you and Todd have been chasing the story. We might have to have you back during the week to get some more details on what this all means now. But thank you so much for this update. Thank you for your hard work down in Delaware, despite uh, all the snow and everything. It's been impacting all of us. Okay. My kids just got back to school for the first time in a week, and they even had a two-hour delay today. It hasn't snowed since Tuesday, John, but you know what? It's how it is. Very
2: good.
1: Okay. <laughs> John- okay. Dinner. All right. Stay and 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 check out John Kingston's Twitter feed. Check out John Kingston's articles on Freightways for more updates on what happens when he's out in Delaware. Take care, sir. Take care. Speaking of which. Y'all think print is dead? I got something awesome to show off for you. This was a labor of love by my friend. He's an anonymous editor. His name is The Freight Bandit. And he actually went out. I even thought this was a meme. I thought this was a meme until he actually had physical pictures of this, putting it in envelopes. I thought they were just joking. It would be a digital magazine. No, he went out and he made this. He put G-Face on the cover. It is The Freight Bandit magazine. It is the premier newest magazine in freight. It's got all sorts of awesome coverage and articles on here. Here that are a little bit different than what you might be uh, you might be used to or might be expecting. We've got the great Gord McGill writing about what to expect as a truck driver. What else we got in here? Voice of Gord right here. Oh, uh, well, travel guide! Discover Elk Grove. You're looking to be a double broker. You're looking to look for double brokers. Here's the travel guide to Elk Grove, Illinois. Enjoy that one. Truckers outraged that other truckers aren't as outraged as they are. As you can see, these are just the finest publishing articles by the finest publishers there are out there. The future of airships. Why don't we use them more? I actually saw a truck being pulled by drones today. Why isn't that a thing? Zin. Zin so hot right now. Here's an alternative for Zin. There's an ad in here. This is LGX. What else we got? I think we got the health benefits of Roller Dogs too. There's that whole G-Face profile on here. Where is it? Yeah, small structure, big rigs, unpacking the short driver shortage. And I believe that's my friend Mike Lombard right on the back doing a pull-up on the back of this truck. If you want a copy of this, you want like a real physical copy of this, you can go to thefreightbandit.com and get your own. It's a, a great little publication. I know just how much work this anonymous publisher put into this. And I swear it was not me. I definitely don't want to take credit for that one. Um, what else we got here? Oh, Kevin Hill, Brush Pass Research. Before we get to our, for our next guest, a couple of things to show you. I know we've talked about the freight broker decline, but here's a little bit of data on it. Show this chart over here. That's from former freight waiver Kevin Hill, now with Brush Pass Research. He said updated stats show freight brokerages contracted again for the seventh straight month. 7.8% fewer brokerage than a year ago, to be exact. 28,438 active brokerage authorities is roughly the same total as two years ago, and still so 21% more than. Than there were in the January 2021 record. Sounds very similar to trucking, right? We talk about the bleed off in trucking all the time of these authorities washing out. But one of the issues why it's still so competitive out there is that massive run up that happened during the pandemic. He says they, uh, these are net numbers at the end of the day and do not reflect the really crazy stats of freight brokerage growth. As we previously noted, there were 25,000 new authorities activated in two short years from January 20 to 2022, with only 9,000. 700 of those still active. Good stuff. Check out Kevin Hill's work. He's doing a great job out there. By the way, speaking of Michael Lombard, he's on the back of the uh, Freight Bandit magazine, and he's also outrun a marathon truck driver turned fitness trainer turned recruiter. He's out there ringing the gong. Let's see how he did. Let's go beautiful awesome job nothing better than the sound of real gong now now steam's tone the one that i had over at f3 i think that gong had a little bit better tone than the one you had there but it might have just been the camera quality i don't mean to be like a hater or anything like that and hey one last shout out here before we get to some guests little local flair had a great weekend out here in chattanooga my hometown first of all shout out to pizza bros for the awesome hat thank you guys so much best pizza in chattanooga over on the north shore and if you go over there about a mile away down by coolidge park is an escape room it is It's called uh, The Escape Experience right here in Chattanooga. It's fantastic. Took my kids. Second time we'd done an escape room. We'd gone to another location here. I think it was called In Time Escape Room. That's right next door to Freightways. This one was just as good. Uh, Great hosts, great people. We solved the caper with only two minutes left. But, you know, we got out of there, and I'm here now. So check them out if you're in chat. Now on episode... 672 of what the truck I'm talking to Freightways Rachel Premack about how the Red Sea conflict has massively changed shipping outlooks cost timelines and supply chain security we got Texas Guy Courtney tells us how their Shopify powered order management system is helping to transform Canadian fashion retailer Eclipse stores supply chain we'll get into a little last mile he's very well versed in that space excited to hear from him loyalty logistics Sean Laidacker sent me some awesome custom Nikes back at Christmas time Meta, he he's the guy who paid for all the dogs at F3. Remember the dog adoption? If you were there, if you weren't there, what was the matter? Why weren't you? Well, he's going to talk about reducing carbon footprints and building back trust in industry. Plus, Flesh Sport gets funding from Shopify, the Zen Craze Project 44 vs. Four Kites, transforming Chinese restaurants and much more. But right now, Guy Horton is in my bullpen. He's vice president of industry and advanced technology at Texas. And I believe, looking at his LinkedIn, you are in the greater Boston area. Where, where are you over in Boston? That's, that's where I'm from.
0: Hey Dooner, I know we've missed each other. So I'm actually in Vermont right now, but we have a place in Chestnut Hill. So we live, as you know, uh, right by the lovely campus of BC. Which I will freely tell you, I'm a Holy Cross grad. So having to look at BC every day, it's hard, man.
1: It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. You know, I went to CM Catholic Memorial. So BC High was our main nemesis. So no love lost there within the Catholic league.
0: Yeah. So you and I, like, we feel that man, that BC stuff, the Eagles, like we can do without it. So yeah, but, uh, but no, I love your story. I, I will freely admit I was, I looked at your Ted talk, really loved it. Very inspirational about why you do podcasts. I've been doing podcasts for a long time and, and just what you said was great. And then your whole background story. So I'm really looking forward to this and excited about the conversation.
1: Well I am too. You know, I haven't um, I, Being a male in the United States. I hadn't heard of Eclipse stores, but I was looking to the background. And it seems like this really big uh, women's retailer. I think they had something like 80 shops like this. And you were bringing your omni channel expertise and platform into empowering that. And I thought it was an interesting story. Can you tell us a little bit about this uh, sort of partnership and what you're doing together?
0: Absolutely. So, as you said, Eclipse Stores, you know, here in the United States, not very well known. It's a Canadian entity. It uh, it operates in Canada, fully in Canada. It's across from coast to coast uh, and all the way up uh, north, if you will. Uh, women's apparel, accessories. So, think of everything from sunglasses to sweaters to you know everything in uh, the clothing line. Uh, so, really, a, a very focused retailer. What we're doing with them is with our partner, other partner, Allure Commerce, we worked with uh, Eclipse to understand or to put in place our order management solution to really help them address their customer needs uh, and to be able to fill their customer wants and desires, et cetera, uh, also leveraging the Shopify front end. So from that perspective, a truly fulfillment platform, if you will, uh, to address today's needs uh, of the consumer in Canada.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and needs have transformed so radically, even just in this decade since the pandemic onwards. The rise of Shopify, the rise of Shopify integration with stores. What does someone like Eclipse need now in an omni-channel provider? What are the challenges that they're facing as this as time to consumer rapidly accelerates and demands rapidly accelerate?
0: You, you nailed it to the head, Dooner. Right, you and I and everybody listening, we make our day jobs that much harder. Why? Because you and I as consumers, we start expecting or have expectations for things that are honestly artificially created, right? Our friends in Seattle have made this notion of having deliveries done within two days, even two hours as the norm. When we know the reality is that the physical limitations of fulfillment, are such that we can't expect that or we shouldn't expect that. So what companies like Eclipse have to do is they have to try to meet these expectations the best they can. And the reality is a lot of them are realizing that to meet expectations is also to set expectations. So, for example, if I order something and I'm in Manitoba, uh, do I expect it to show up in the next day or two? Probably not. But what I want to know is when should I expect it? What is the visibility like into when I will get that order, that delivery to come to me? And that's what we're trying to help. And we're trying to address with Eclipse, with our solution working with Shopify, is that when that person places the order through a Shopify site, that the order management solution behind it is able to pull the data of what's available to promise, when it's going to show up, the issues around delivery networks, what are what's available in terms of the freight carrying, the parcel, et cetera, and then set the right expectation with that consumer. So that she knows that if I order these new sunglasses, maybe I'll get them in four days instead of two days, but that's okay as long as you meet that promise and it's up to us, the system providers in the background to provide the ability of a company like Eclipse to set that right expectation and then to meet it.
1: You know, when people talk about, you know, visibility became such a buzzword. There had been so much talk about it. And when people talk about some of the disappointment in that space, a lot of that focus has sort of been on the ocean side. I've worked with in shippers. I'm a consumer myself. And what what people really want in visibility is at a product level, right? They want to know when something actually is going to arrive. When I I was in a shipper in the buying team, and I would give them back like an ETA of a container vessel, they would not care. They'd be like, well, when is this in the warehouse and available? Like, awesome. I'm glad it's on the water. But we have calendar deadlines. And you're talking about a fashion retailer, which is like, That's like perishables, right? I mean, you have to meet calendar times. You have to meet sales times. That newsletter just went out. That goods and inventory have to be available. Um, What about the system do you think, um, especially in the retail space, is really enhancing it? I was reading one of your articles, and there's even a new term. Like, we all know e-commerce, but you had Q-commerce in there.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? It's all about those expectations, and the system is really about – you. Spot on, right? This this visibility notion has really sort of taken off in the sense of we all take it for granted. We're going to see everything, whether it's on the ocean, whether it's in the warehouse, whether it's in the store, right? Whether we're buying it through social or whether they're buying it through a website. The reality is that getting that level of visibility is still a daunting task. In our systems, what we're really trying to do is to, I'm not going to say solve it entirely, because the reality is we all know that we can have perfect visibility regardless of what other pundits might say. But what we can do is try to get you as much visibility as possible, but also get you the visibility you need. What I mean by that is, if you know that you know 20% of your SKUs are going to make up 80% of your revenue, then let's focus on those and really understand the rules around how we want to fulfill, how we want to be able to see those items, what are the rules we want to put in place. And maybe those items that are slow movers or that maybe people buy once in a while, the visibility for those can sort of be throttled down a bit. Now, some people might hear that and gasp and say, "Oh my goodness, well what do you say?" But the reality is, as you said, especially in things such as fast fashion, these are perishables. You've got sometimes a 10-week window, maybe less for that that month's or sorry, for that sort of run if you will. So, you've got to get stuff out there quickly, but what stuff do you have to have the best visibility for? And that's where I think we're seeing companies like eclipse really leveraging our systems to understand and then to set the right rules and parameters for the necessary inventory to satisfy their customers and understand also well these slower moving items you know we can set different expectations as long as we set her expectations in the right place but that's a daunting task right again easier said than done and when we look at an order management solution it's really about balancing all of these different parameters to, again, satisfy the end customer as best as we can.
1: I got a question for you, and this is about sort of the evolving nature of, of how e-commerce and retail is going. Should you use a retail ship from strategy store to fulfill online orders?
0: It depends, and I know I hate that answer, but it depends, <laughs> right? I, I I think I would say, here's my, here's my stance on this one, Duder. I think any retailer has to look at any place they have inventory as an inventory dispensary. And what do I mean by that? Is that inventory across the board, right? Supply chains are no longer linear. What I mean by that is we no longer just simply source and manufacture, then ship, then store, then bring to the last, you know, the last mile, so to speak. We should be able to pull inventory from anywhere across that supply chain. Now, that's a a challenge. I get it. But to your question, I think retailers absolutely need to look at their store in a different way now that doesn't mean you're going to ignore your dc that might mean you also want to look at things like dropship maybe i manufacture and i bring it right to your door right from the manufacturer but the store within that parameter to your point is a is a treasure trove of inventory now the question becomes and this is you know i'm going to pat myself on my back here but where i think we do a very good job especially with companies like eclipse is that the inventory within the store must be handled with a subtlety. And what do I mean by that? So let's think about a store, for example. Maybe between Monday and Wednesday night, there's you know low foot traffic, right? We're all working, we're at school, we have stuff to do, we've got you know busy lives. Uh, so we're not running to the store uh, in the afternoon or at lunch. So maybe during those days, I allocate a higher percentage of my store inventory to do online fulfillment. But now, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekends, I have a higher store traffic. And what do I not want as a retailer? I don't want you or I do to walk into a store and we really need an item. And I walk in and they say, hey, we have a stock out. It's not on the store shelf. Why? Because I took that inventory and I shipped it where I fulfilled all my e-com orders with that inventory over the weekend. So what we want is that subtlety with the store inventory to be flexible and even flexible within time constraints. So for example, too, you want to be able to be reactionary. If your marketing team all of a sudden runs a BOGO on Thursday, right, come in the store and buy one, get one free, well, then I want to throttle back that inventory that's available for e-com fulfillment. Because what I don't want is, again, you walk in the store, you're excited, you saw the marketing campaign, you buy one item, you're getting ready to get your second item for free, but guess what? it's out of stock. Why? Because my system wasn't smart enough to allocate that inventory just for in-store traffic. So to answer your question, stores need to look across their entire supply chain, wherever inventory is available, can they make that available to the end consumer? Can they find ways to get it into the hands of the end consumer? But they also need to be nuanced because all inventory, all locations, are not going to run the same every day, every month, every time of the year. So you have to be nuanced with your systems to be able to manage that inventory according to the time frame that you are in.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And I agree with all that. That all all makes sense. Now, before I let you go, lightning question here. What last mile trend will dominate 2024?
0: I think the last mile trend that will dominate 2024, we're, we're seeing more and more of it, but is usage of, well, I'm going to have to look down my notes, but the BOPIL, BOPIL, buy online, yeah. pick up and locker. I think we're going to see more and more. We see this, we've seen this for years now in Europe. We're seeing more of it here in the United States, but in Europe, you know, I was in, I was in Poland years ago and I saw the the Polish postal system have all these lockers. Uh, When I go to France, I see it all over the place, have it for years. Now I know Amazon's been doing it here for a while as well. I think we're going to see more and more of this. We're going to see more and more whether it's Target, whether it's Walmart, whether it's more Amazon, whether it's smaller uh, type retailers are going to use the ability to deliver to a locker. And then we're going to see, I think, parcel shippers start offering that as, a, as, an, as an ability to pick up your item, right? So instead of me sending uh, my delivery person to your house every day doing you're not there and just drop it off, I'm going to give you the option, say, hey, you know what, I've got a centralized location close to you. Do uh, You want to pick it up there uh, and it'll be much easier for you. Maybe I'll partner with a coffee shop or a restaurant, things of that nature. So I think you're going to see a mashup more of this where you know places that are that you have to go to, your barbershop, your coffee shop, your restaurant, I think we're gonna start seeing more of these lockers being placed there because again, if I'm if I'm going there to to get my haircut and I can pick up a package there, why not? And here's another one, Duner, if I want to return an item, could I also return it to that locker?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the big one. We all hate. I mean, getting this stuff's one thing. Returning is always like, oh, it's annoying. You don't want to bring it back. It's it's like the consumer side of it sucks. And I mean, so does like the retailer side. Everybody hates like the backside, back end logistics like that. I agree with you. Everyone out there, go out and get some lockers. And in the meantime, you need some help with Omni Channel. You want to talk to a final mile expert. Where do I send them to?
0: uh send them to our website texas.com it's not the state of texas it's dot <laughs> com. or by all means follow me on linkedin or twitter uh my name is or it's uh, pretty simple to find and would love to encourage more conversations love talking about this topic tuner and and you know we could spend another day just talking about the returns aspect of all this too because i think it's it's oh, that is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, to omni-channel
1: easy we'll have to do reverse logistics next time it's uh it's a thorn in many a side thank you thank you (laughs) so much It it was awesome to meet you thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me and look forward to next ones take care all right meanwhile check out this dog you want to talk about cool jobs yeah podcaster's pretty cool but what about being a dog bat boy or a bat dog And if you see here, too, the dog was a little annoyed at first because he was going to bring the bat back himself. That is this dog's job. Thank you, Animal Memes Online, for this clip. I love it. Makes me miss Randy. Just going to pet him when I get home. But right now I got to talk to Rachel Premack. She's editorial director over at Freight Waves. I don't have time to play baseball with the dog. Rachel, how you doing?
3: Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I went back to Michigan this weekend, visited my parents. It was like five degrees one day so i'm glad to be back in new york where it is like 20 or 30 which is nice and warm compared to five for sure
1: it was like lion's fever off the charts or people still talking about michigan like uh, about the blue what what's what was like the vibe
3: people no one was talking about michigan anymore which was too oh. bad but definitely the line all attention was on the lions for sure Um, I mean, it's huge. In my lifetime, the Lions have always been pretty bad, so it's nice to see them be good for once, for sure. Um, But yeah, definitely all attention on the Lions. I was actually flying last night while the game was happening, and everyone in the airport was just, like, stuck looking where they were going, which I was also the same way.
1: Yes. Yeah, well, the curse of Barry Sanders, you know, they, they want they want to get past that. Well, right now we have the curse of of, of the healthy, the curse of Yemen. Or the said th- this story is going to be probably our story all year talking about Red Sea. Yeah. This seems like an extended conflict. Every prognosticator is saying that it seems like an extended conflict. Hatbag Lloyd, they just tweeted today. We decided to continue with our approach. We will route our vessels around the Cape of Good Hope until further notice that that we're hearing more and more about that. Rachel, what's the current situation going on right now?
3: Yeah, so the current situation, we're still seeing the vast majority of container ships being diverted around the Cape of Good Hope, which is South Africa. This adds about 10 to 14 days to most ocean transits. So it's still, you know, goods are still going where they need to go. Trade is still moving, so on and so forth. Uh... But the question is, how long is this going to go on for? Uh, I think a lot of retailers and and shippers and manufacturers and so on thought, oh, okay, this will happen. This is like a one week thing, maybe a few weeks, whatever. And it kind of just seems like this is just the way it's going to be for the next few months or even longer than that. Um, So the current situation, things are still moving, but it's kind of going to be like this for, for quite some time, it seems. Well,
1: we're talking about like 30 percent of the world's containerized freight, 15 percent of mm-hmm. total freight. and It's impacting everything like this is from marine traffic. They said livestock carrier diverts amid concerns of Red Sea risk. Livestock carrier Bahija with a capacity of 8000 animals. They left uh, Australia. They're going through Jordan. They had to turn around over concerns of animal welfare. So, I mean, it's not just like your iPad that's in these boxes. Yeah. It's grain, it's goods, it's animals, it's commodity, it's agriculture.
3: Oil, cars. Yeah this it's uh alexander,
1: alexander Steele says insurance broker marsh says rates have risen as much and these are just insurance rates we're not even on ocean rates yet mm-hmm. he said insurance rates have risen uh 70 fold since early december the premium to insure a hundred million dollar container ship has jumped from ten thousand to about seven hundred thousand dollars insuring the ship on the water
3: yeah it's I, so the one if you want to look at it from a positive perspective if that's somehow possible um the The good thing you could say about this is that the ocean carrier the container market was already incredibly weak right now, especially compared to let's say 2020, twenty 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 one twenty two uh container rates are incredibly were incredibly low before this conflict started so uh ocean carriers do have especially on the container side do have a lot of capacity they have a lot of new capacity and equipment coming on coming on board. But it still doesn't really obviously make it easy or great to have this massive diversion. But I guess you could say, you know, the timing is good. I'm putting air quotes uh, for those who aren't watching because there is that access capacity. On the other hand, we're also seeing major droughts in the Panama Canal. So there was already that sort of uh, difficulty with moving things around with that Panama Canal drought. So it's not it's 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 a it's a really difficult time and as you mentioned it's not just you know your lawn chairs or your air fryers it is animals uh oil gas uh cars all of these sort of you know necessities that we need to live um and it's 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 just a sign that you know global trade might not be as easy and seamless as it has been in the past and we just need to keep looking out for what the next disruption is and uh, certainly the folks watching can, can think about ways to, I know we keep talking about, you know, resilient supply chains, redundancies in your supply chain, but that's definitely the uh, big word that continues to be the, the key concept going forward. Yeah, and look,
1: the thing for the Hathi, their goal, they're accomplishing it. They're not having to do much to do it. They've only attacked. It's not like they have to attack hundreds of ships. You just have to add three, five ships, and then it makes everyone scared, everyone skittish. Nobody wants to go through there. Nobody wants to put their crew and their cargo at risk along with the insurance. But, you know, I had like Molson Hart on, on our last show on Friday. Small retailer, mm-hmm. just gets a couple containers a year, said he spent $25,000 on a container during the pandemic. So for those guys who are getting crushed, mm-hmm. like toy sales are lower, our economy and inflation has- has been bad here for him to have to go from, you know, 25,000 back down to like the normal $1,200. And now we're getting Mm -hmm. back up, like show this next chart right here. This is the Fredo's Baltic index. And we're seeing rates get, and look, I think these are lagging too, because anecdotally I'm hearing from people they are spending over 10,000 now, but you can see these rates are very elevated, 3,000, 5,000, 7,000 across here. And like you said, with the Panama Canal drought, it's not just a situation of what's going on in the Red Sea. It's all these situations sort of coming together Mm -hmm. and now kind of a new watch points is also west coast ports here we'll 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 see a big influx mm. there will be congestion will this look it's an election year <laughs> will this look like uh like it did four years ago
3: yeah yeah i mean it's it's the big question is just like when is this going to reverse when is this going to end and once once people get quote comfortable with these disruptions do rates go back down probably not because you still have all this capacity being used up uh, from one person I spoke to, if you have, let's say, an Asia-Europe uh, type of route going on, before you might just need one ship to move that. Now you need two or three ships to move that. You just need more and more capacity, more equipment, everything, just to do your typical run-of-the-mill type of type of shipment. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's really it's really concerning. And as you mentioned, you have uh, the Houthi, the the uh, Houthi rebel fighters. They're not using planes or fighter jets or really sophisticated equipment. They're using these really cheap drones, cheap missiles, um, and they're still managing to divert, you know, the entire uh, or or much of the global container trade. And and it's it's a really disturbing and shocking time, definitely, to be looking at how global trade is moving and what kind of small or small-ish sort of uh, methods can be used to just disrupt how everything is moved.
1: Yeah, you know, we take those calm seas for granted and it takes these big black swan events which are a windfall. They can be a windfall for these uh steamship lines, but you know, they can crush some of yeah. us over here on the state side. By the way, I saw you nodding when um when he said his trend, my last guest, Guy, he said his trend for 2024 was buy now, yeah. pick up in locker. Or, or do you use those? Is that big in New York Are you into this trend?
3: Like, as of last night, I was thinking I need to get one of those because I got something mailed to my house sunday morning and when i got back sunday night someone had already stolen it oh so i need to get one of those lockers for sure um it's i think it's necessary in you know a place like new york or i think even in the suburbs you know you see package thieves and all that
1: made off with your winter pink you you just secured one on target your winter pink stanley
3: i know i know i uh yeah if i've got this it's not it's not a stanley but it's
1: yeah, I mean, like I I've yeah, like they work fine. I mean, I just have like a metal one. I mean, I don't need to spend yeah, 50 bucks yeah. on Stanley. Most of you guys out here send me these anyway. I, my whole cupboard is like <laughs> freight water bottles. Now, big deal, Flexport, Shopify. These are two companies that have had a long relationship. Shopify has mm-hmm. um, it invested in Flexport. Flexport bought Deliver, their their e-commerce platform for them. And now... Uh, you know, Flexport's had their troubles. Ryan Peterson's got into war CEO mode. Came back. They got Dave Clark out of there, and now they've raised 260. They've Shopify's invested 260 million dollars into Flexport. What's going on here?
3: So this is interesting because we saw um, last year after the Dave Clark ouster uh, in September that. I, you might recall, uh, viewers might recall Ryan Pearson, you know, among many tweets that he was posting at this time, he posted something along the lines of uh, Flexport actually having about a billion dollars in cash reserve. So I was certainly surprised to see this news that he, uh, that Flexport raised another $260 million. Um, and as you mentioned, Flexport and, Sh- and Shopify have a very close bond. They have worked uh, together and, and you know, Flexport purchasing some of Shopify's assets it's a it's an ongoing relationship, and Shopify already, I believe, had a member on, uh, on Flexport's board, already had, I believe, a 13% stake into Flexport. So the partnership makes sense. I guess I'm interested in what this cash is going to be used for if Flexport already has, you know, a billion dollars in cash reserves already. I, I'm definitely curious kind of what Flexport's next moves are. Are they going to be... Where are they going to be investing in next now that they've got even more cash in hand?
1: Ryan Peterson, Flexport's uh, CEO and founder, he put this on LinkedIn just about an hour ago. He said, Shopify invested Flexport invested Flexport $260 million in Flexport. Thank you to Toby and your entire team for this tremendous vote of confidence in our business and partnership. Since I came back to the role of CEO last fall, our team has made massive progress towards returning Flexport to profit- build, profitability. Further, strengthening our cash position with this investment should send a strong message to customers that Flexport is building a long-term sustainable business that will continue to deliver best-in-class technology and services this is an important milestone along our journey to build an end-to-end logistic technology platform to make global commerce so easy that there will be more of it. Our fortress balance sheet continues to be one of the most one of our most strategic assets as we navigate the uncertain waters of global trade in the 21st century in pursuit of this vision. Burton Ernie in our comments, he kind of had a question like you though. He said, "Why did they need to borrow the money?" Clark and his entire ex Amazon team departed so they could get profitable and focus on the core business, but then they buy Convoys Banker Tech and borrow even more money. What is going on? What, what do you think is going on? I, I don't
3: know. I don't know either. I'm quite interested because, you know, one reason why Dave Clark uh, was, was, was forced out of the, or, you know, fired by the board was that uh, the view was that Flexport needed to kind of move away from these costly projects and especially these costly ground transportation projects that Dave Clark is obviously, you know, incredibly skilled for if you want to build out a sort of ground transportation network. Dave Clark's probably the person you want to talk to, uh, concerning he built out Amazons. Uh, so I, it's a little confusing. I agree. I'm, I'm just as confused as you are because, you know, with Shopify, with Convoy, these are definitely, you know, maybe not asset based, but they are still ground transportation focused pursuits. So I am curious, what the what the what the move is here with all this cash and all these uh new new purchases and and um or at least one big new purchase and this new uh, borrowing.
1: Well, the good news is I'll get the chance to ask him. He's going to be on the show in February. He's already booked to come oh, on. So, Ryan, looking forward to having you come on. Obviously, a lot to talk about and some really interesting things. We'd love to know how you plan to deploy the cash and what's going to happen there. Now, one thing I'd like to know about, the Zin trend. You've, you've been declared Madam Zin online. You decide to cover the Zin the trend in this article. What, what have you learned since this came out? Have you had, like, brokers coming out of the woodwork, truckers coming out of the woodwork talking about their Zin experience?
3: It's funny because the Zinn story, I wanted to write about Zinn certainly, but I also have for years wanted to write about freight brokerage culture, which is such a unique kind of work environment. And it's unique in some ways and not unique in other ways. Um I guess what's what's really interesting about you know Zinn, Zinn is kind of just the latest stimulant, uh arson you know, uh stimulant for for freight brokers and you know, all types of workers really uh but it was it was really interesting talking to brokers and learning a little bit about like how this really high pressure environment works um in a lot in some of the folks i talked to they talked about how they had to basically detox after leaving freight brokerages because you know you're working 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 all day you're smoking a vape you're smoking cigarettes you're perhaps now zinning lots of coffee lots of uh what else is there? Lots of energy drinks. Yeah. Monsters, Panera charged lemonade now. Um, and then at night, you know, you're going to go out with your friends, you're going to drink and I'm not going to speculate on what what other sort of substances are used at any point of this day, of course. But, uh, you know, after that, you, the, it seems like a lot of people just need to like detox essentially, and just not be involved in, in any sort of stimulants or depressants or what have you. um, and it's it's just kind of interesting, like the me they, they sort of commented on the memes being really fun and like great sure. camaraderie and all that, but it's also there's some negative sides to it, which is that you do have to kind of use these substances in order to be good at the job in, in some cases.
1: I hope that uh the next issue of Freight Bandit magazine covers this uh a little bit a little bit deeper right I, I think we need to continue chasing the tale on this particular story and and substance abuse within the brokerage mm-hmm. industry now before I let you go there's a new headline on freightways it 's about this case between project forty four and shopify it almost like like, there's this eBay case about this Boston, like, bloggers that were, like, sort of harassed by that. And mm-hmm. something happened here where, somewhat like, the f- people from Four Kites or allegedly from Four Kites in 2019 were emailing Project 44's board and telling them yeah. that the company uh, was, you know, it didn't work and their financials were all messed up. And now Project 44 is striking back. Well, what's what's the update here?
3: So, the latest is that, and that's a perfect summary. Essentially, uh, Project 44 is claiming that Four Kites employees emailed members of their board they claimed that they were able to trace back those email addresses to a Forkites India IP address so that is yeah that is the 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 content of the case uh that was filed in 2020 and we've seen uh, the case was initially filed i believe in the Cook County and in in, in uh, the Chicago County and it's kind of gone up through the various re- uh, rungs of Illinois court and now it's at the illinois supreme court will they will decide whether or not this falls into the uh legal definition of defamation
1: interesting interesting matthew leffler the armchair attorney says that uh, he actually agrees with project 44 in this case so we'll have to see how it shakes out now rachel before i let you go i'm gonna have to spin this wheel I'm gonna have to spin the okay. wheel. it's been too okay. long it's been too long before i, I spun the wheel of stupid questions where do we land oh i like this one okay what's the soonest you can call shotgun when riding as a passenger in a car
3: i think when you've exited the building and you're like maybe you're maybe the car isn't inside but you've exited the building or you're maybe maybe you're about to exit the building but um you're walking purposefully towards the car preferably already outside
1: I'd have to agree. You'd have to be in your walking action to like a vehicle, but outside have like your next action would have to be getting in the vehicle. You can't call it like two days in advance. You can't like reserve it and work it out with everyone else. And the person you're calling it against kind of has to be with you or you're picking them up because, you know, if you're picking them up, you get it anyway.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's gotta be real. It can't be like you're still sitting at the dinner table or something. That's ridiculous. Or two days in advance. That's, that's crazy.
1: That would be cheesy. Well, Rachel, thank you so much. Go check out Rachel's awesome articles by looking up Rachel Premack on FreightWaves.com or you can find her on Twitter at R-R-P-R-E. Take it easy, Rachel. Thank you. Take care. All right. Elsewhere. Look at this guy. This is uh, News Channel 9. It says, uh, viewer Victoria Burton and Saudi Daisy said, this is my dog, Hank. He has made this snowball of his own, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Hank, you're an inspiration. I don't know if the same superintendents who, like, closed all the schools in Chattanooga for a week straight plus two hours late today also run, like, the dog, doggy daycares out here. But if they do, at least there is something uh, to keep that puppy occupied. Look how much fun he's having. I bet Sean would adopt that dog. Nice guest right now. Sean Ladacker, Managing Director at Loyalty Logistics. He's the puppy savior, the man himself. I love the backdrop you got today, Sean.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Uh, Mr. Dooner. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love uh, the fact we can connect again, especially in the new year. So, um, but yeah, Puppy King still lives with me, um, to this very moment. So again, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the label. So
1: well, you are, I, I, by the way, I can't help, but notice the custom shoes behind you. I got to thank you in person now for the pair that you sent me. Take a look at these awesome shoes that Sean had sent me right around Christmas time. They got the loyalty logistics colors. They say donor on them. They say loyalty. Super nice, man. Air Max one's. Is this your thing? You 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 you, you always hooking people up with custom shoes? Uh,
4: just you know, trying to share the brand, trying to share the different colors, and trying to share the message. I mean, um, at the end of the day, we're you know we're trying to share a different message, right? So the green, the purples are not the traditional colors. Uh, Oddly enough, even going to customer service with Nike, trying to get a tracking on those shoes, I got into a conversation about the just the. Uh, the combination and how it was so unique so again I'm already in conversations with Nike to try to make like an official you know loyalty Nike shoe um, I know Mustafa sent you some shoes as well this week um, i love to reach out I feel if we can both make some custom shoes maybe some great minds alike can make like I don't know the ultimate shoes so again Mustafa if you're listening I'd love to connect and talk about uh, what we can do some more original um, branding together
1: yeah, you guys need to sort of team up and create some volume behind this, and then Nike will take you more seriously. They're like, "Oh, okay, you got." At first, it was just you, Shama. Now that you got Mustafa on board, and he's got those those sound bowls and all that, I think that would definitely be a big selling point for Nike.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, just uh, keep at it, be relentless, and bug them as much as I can, and, and try to keep bringing the the shoes to the forefront of the world. Right. So thanks, Tim, uh, obviously for showing the shoes as well.
1: Now, Sean, people who missed you last time you were on, they haven't heard the. What, what's the elevator pitch on loyalty?
4: So the elevator pitch on loyalty is essentially, uh, you know, we're a, a logistics company. We just celebrated our seven year anniversary two days ago. Ecstatically happy. Um, you know, I had some good opportunities to talk about the symbolism of that seven year anniversary. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a milestone year like five years or ten years. But I think, like I said, this is something to be proud of. So, I mean in a a nutshell um essentially we're a a very young logistics company as far as mentalities right um we really don't want to follow kind of any paths that have been pre defined by predecessors hence the the new colors of greens and purples that uh, combination is not traditional um to be honest like i said i mean at the end of the day the secret sauce for loyalty is just you know trying to focus on the power of connections right uh recreating trust between you know, ownership and our staff, right? Creating trust with our carrier groups um, and our operational team, right? Also creating trust and communication with shippers, right? Um, I had an opportunity at Future of Freight to talk about the absolute necessity of redefining connections. I'm, um, it, it, it continues to, you know, come to... Um, Head, I opened my LinkedIn and a lot of people are talking again about that connection, right? Having trust with people, you know, being able to entrust your freight with um, a human versus a robot. So, like I said, again, we're, we're constantly reshaping the path to success and it's not a path that I draw, right? I'm just um, a facilitator. So, we want this path to be created by our customers, our carriers, our employees, you say it, you name
1: it. Well, Sean, let me let me talk to you. Like on these shows, past couple shows, we've covered the Ware program over in Southern California. It's impacting four thousand warehouse. We've talked to Harbor Trucking Association over uh, Vance Clean Fuels ruling and the CARB ruling over at the port with no new diesels. Everyone, whether they want to or not, is being pressured to lower their carbon footprint. How are you guys helping out with that?
4: Well, I mean, honestly, uh, I think we're going to have to uh, wait maybe a month to have a real in-depth conversation about that. So I just kind of want to tease a couple of different concepts and ideas. Um, You know, I think we saw in 2023, right, a lot of people seeing big problems in our industry and shooting a lot of money at it and then hoping for the best, right? So, um, you know, you even put a post this morning which made me uh, chuckle. You know, 2,000 drones were lifting up a semi and bringing it (laughs) to a delivery. I mean, I can't see... You know, I mean, it's just not realistic to have that many drones in the air, right? Um, people are leaning on, on, obviously, electric trucks, right? We, that is something we've been working on for quite some time, um, and we're not there yet, right? So if we look at the simplicity of it, right, which is really what we're trying to do, which is bring back the simplicity of this industry and the relationships, uh, the simplicity side, there's a lot of things that we can do combined uh, with our carriers, with our shippers, that can have a huge impact on the emissions. So the one thing I can talk about that we're we're actively already working on at this point is uh, it's called a Miyawaki forest or a pocket forest. Um, Essentially what this is, is an urban forest that we can create or we're looking to create potentially at the location of our shippers, free of cost, um, that we will help with the shippers to create these forests. Um, We will take care of the maintenance of these forests. After essentially a year, they become self sufficient at this point. Um, so we're trying to really help shippers and manufacturers to lower the carbon footprints. We can't really go in. We're not educated or versed enough to tell them, like, make these changes into your productions and you're going to lower your 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 carbon footprint. Instead, we're going to offer these, these very small, uh, impactful forces at their facilities, again, with no investment. It's just, you know, you give us the business and we will give you in return a force. And you'll be able to help create it with us. You'll also have the opportunity to understand all of the plants that we're utilizing, why we're utilizing them, and what's the impact on the world. I mean, at the end of the day, it takes 22 full adult trees to produce enough enough oxygen for one human being. So we've got a lot of work.
1: Yeah, well, it sure sounds like it. It sounds like uh, it's a big initiative for you guys this year. One thing you mentioned earlier, though, was building trust. And there's so much commentary about that, not just sort of the toxic animosity that sometimes exists between carriers, shippers and brokers, but rampant double brokering, rampant fraud schemes, uh, just not trusting one another. How do you reinstill trust from your perspective?
4: I mean, how do we reinstill trust is to the point where, you know, if we did, if we looked at traditional, you know, roles and responsibilities in in a logistics firm, right, it's uh, sales operations. We're trying to really try to see how do we adapt our sales team to not be considered a sales team, right? I think at this point, um, the market, the industry at this point is in an absolute necessity to, again, I kind of dumbed this down, right? At the end of the day, I think we can all sit here and agree that price gets your foot in, service keeps it there. Um, Any data, any KPIs, any value added services that we can prove on paper, In hindsight, like right in the beginning, those are just opinions, right? Regardless if I have facts and I have data behind me that shows that, you know, we have the best on-time pickups, deliveries, low claims ratios, nobody expects to believe it, right? Um, So we're trying to bring back the simplicity of this industry, right? You find a carrier group, they have pains. They have areas where they need support, so tell us. Let us go and try to focus on those pains, right? The shippers and manufacturers, we're trying to take out all the, um, the fluffiness, right? When it comes to respecting their times. And understand at the end of the day, not every shipper is gonna be the best fit for loyalty logistics, right? So let's focus on the simplicity. If I save you some money, great. What do I get? An opportunity to show you what I can do. And if I can do it right, well then the service will keep my foot in the door for the long term. Um, But outside of that, I mean, everything else is just smoke and mirrors, right? And logistics managers are being solicited too many times on a daily, weekly basis, um, too many different, you know, so many companies saying the same things. At the end of the day, the necessity of, of just being brutally candid with, you know, our suppliers are the people that make this company work.
1: Now you uh, you mentioned a couple things that that can they're directions that can lead to L's helping out with uh, building trusts carbon footprint those kind of things. What do you think the headwinds you're going to face this year are from your position at Loyalty? Um,
4: I mean, right now at this point, I mean, we're just trying to um, we've got our hands in a lot of different aspects. Right, the carbon footprint is huge. Um, I don't want to tackle by myself. I need to. You know, I have formulated the right team members around me um, that I can hopefully lead and motivate to help guide me in, you know, obviously tackling carbon footprint. Right. If I wanted to do that myself, uh, it probably wouldn't come out this year. Right. So I need to empower the right people that are like minded individuals and that I can help guide them. Um I I think, like if anything at this point, you know, and most uh, logistics companies at this point are anticipating hopefully a a bounce back on our economy, right? You you talked about that just earlier. It's an election year. There's a history of every time there's an election year, uh, logistics, transportation, bounce back. You show some awesome numbers. So we want to prepare for that. Um, And we want to be ensure that we've got the right partners and right carriers and our staff is in the right mindset. And, again, we're growing controllably so that we don't – affect obviously any relations or trust that's already been given to us
1: yeah you know it's it's (laughs) it's an election year. It's hard to come in with too much of a plan. Like we're we're looking at Trump Biden too. We know it's going to be kind of an S no matter what happens, it's going to be, it's going to be a mess all around. You know, there's going to be so much fighting. There's going to be so much anger. There's probably going to be societal turmoil on the streets. Who even knows we've been through. We just lived through this. I feel like we haven't had progress too much since 2020, even though it feels like forever ago. And it feels like, ah, no, here we go again. It's going to be another crazy year.
4: Yeah, and I think it's going to be a mess. I mean, to be honest, I mean, (laughs) it's so hard to pre-plan, right? We live one week at a time, one month at a time. We hit our targets. We reset, right? It's easy to live three months down the road, six months. I mean, but if anything, if the past has shown to us, I mean, (laughs) this industry is constantly changing, constantly evolving. Um, You know, the discussion obviously with the Red Seas, nobody could have ever forecasted it at, at that point, right? Um, so like I said, I, I'm trying to stay grounded. I'm trying to work for the future, but ensure that I remember what's happening right now in our current company. Because like I said, I mean, if we try to pre-plan too much, I mean, we're going to fail, right? So I got to focus on today. I got to live in the moment, um, and be considerable of the future as well. And just, you know, consistently, like we all do in this industry, we adapt every single day. Uh, we have to change. We have to adapt I've never had the same day twice in 18 years, Um, you know, so the most we can do is hope for the best, but prepare for the worst.
1: Now, speaking of forecasting, let's talk about some weather. Let's look at this winter clip over here. This was actually in New Mexico. This is I-40 over there. That's not a truck parking club location. This is the, the, what weather can do to a shipment. Now, when Molson Hart was on here Friday, he was actually waiting for a container. His truck wasn't stuck in that, but it was stuck in other weather. And if you heard from him, he had to hire like the day laborers to come in. Now he doesn't know if it's going to arrive the next day or the day after. They're a small business. All that stuff dives into the margins. How does a place like yours, especially this time of year, you're in Canada, how do you deal with weather? I mean...
4: You try to you try to stay optimistic and you stay inside. Let me put it that much. I mean right now it's what minus well today's not bad actually I would say it's about minus four Celsius, so that's not bad. But yesterday was minus twenty-one um Celsius. So I mean again at the end of the day, what as a broker, right? We don't drive the trucks, we don't own the equipment. So what can we do? Make those extra check calls, make sure that people are, are forecasting that you know their trucks may not start, they may be covered in snow um and again just relay that proper information to our customers at the end of the day we understand things happen right um anybody can pick up a load deliver it on time but you know what separates us from the rest of the pack is again that attention to detail right being knowledgeable of the weathers and the potential delays again it just allows us to react in the moment and then increase those check calls and be able to offer some solutions right we've got a lot of canadian drivers here that have a lot more experience dealing in frigid weathers that if we have to connect them with you know let's say i don't know arizona runner who's hitting bad weather and has no idea how to brace for it we'll, we'll put those two people in contact and hopefully they can just help each other out to stay a little bit safer as well
1: Real John Galt says, "This is a time of year where I'm glad I no longer run large fleets. No sleep, lots of last-minute fights, and DOT nonsense for weeks. I mean, one little setback like like that, and you know, it, you can see there's a lot of trailers there. But like for a small business, especially in a in a just-in-time run system, like this means everything from having to pay workers more money to be there, possible damage to product, longer fulfillment times to send your customers, making them angry. So there's a lot of sensitivity, I think, when you're a broker, especially in dealing with the trucking and." the shipper side on this because you have two people who are in a bad way yeah
4: agreed wholeheartedly. and uh you know the market is competitive i mean everybody is trying to find those replacement revenues from last year um again you know we're we're continuing to hear about bankruptcies and closures and scales backs everybody's fearing for their job at this point um you know and it is hard it's hard to face that music. It's hard to pick up the phone and tell your customer that that critical shipment that's absolutely needed, you've been waiting for months, is not going to arrive due to the fact of bad weather or a closure. Um, but I mean, that's our job at the end of the day, right? Report the good, report the bad, don't shift the blame. And, you know, understand that we can't force these drivers to risk their lives, right? If they are in a complete, you know, uh, whiteout, we can't force them to get on a highway. I think I saw a post on LinkedIn last week where. I'm not sure maybe you, you, Tim, this may have some relation to you, but, you know, there was um, a local sheriff's department that forced these drivers outside of a truck stop in the middle of a blizzard because, you know, they weren't allowed to park there. But at the same time, it's like, guys, I mean, going to force an 88,000 pound rig on the road with somebody who may not be familiar or comfortable with that type of weather conditions? I mean, come on. Think about, you know, the life, the insecurities that he's facing.
1: Yeah. Hey, Sean, how many times have you pulled into a rest stop and you see, oh, they got they got Arby's or maybe they have Tim Hortons or maybe they have but they don't have Chinese food. and You want some Chinese food. Do you think this could take off at the truck stops in America? Take a look at this trailer here. This guy just rolls his trailer. Food trucks are completely dead if these things take off and it converts, it transforms into an entire Chinese restaurant.
4: My God. I mean, that's not even a food truck. I mean, this is next level. I mean, um, if anybody wants to look to to build one of these things, I mean, I would I would be interested to explore it. But I mean, yeah, this is (laughs) this is a whole restaurant. Forget the forget just, you know, grabbing the food and eating in your semi. I mean, this is next level stuff that (laughs) tell me where to sign because I would like to explore this.
1: Yeah, no, I love it too. And like Show Motion, they have some of these trailers, they're, they're becoming a, a little bit more advanced and sort of eye-popping, but they're basically convertible trailers that turn into like a full pop-up display for whatever your business or your outdoor booth may be. They I've even seen little stages that way, so this tech's getting pretty cool. But Michael Millard says, I worked on transportable communication stations from 1983 to 1985. It took weeks sometimes to get everything up and running 100%. I see reliability issues with this platform. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that that could be a problem
4: yeah but i mean you know it's a risk no matter what and and uh, there is a lot of moving parts and i mean i don't i couldn't foresee setting up shop in illinois right now with one of these these uh, facilities right if it was in a place that you know you're sure nice weather throughout the course of the year go for it but you know again if i have to embody this concept of simplicity behind it yeah i would not want this uh, this type of uh, restaurant here locally where i am
1: well, here is – and this is probably a good message for your Canadian viewers, anyone here in the U.S., the weather has been terrible. This is why you got to be smart when you you pass. This is from New York DOT right here. Look at what's going to happen. Look at that. So much hate. Look at that. Look at that, Sean.
4: Oh, my God. I mean, how could he even see the lines on the floor? I mean, does he know he can legally pass or not? I mean, it's impossible to see. But, uh, and I mean, that was – Correct me if I'm wrong, but that looked like a Subaru WRX. I mean, four-wheel drive or not, you know what I mean? There's only so much you can do.
1: No, that looked like a really awful idea, really awful move. Obviously not the road conditions for it. People over here, be smart. Don't just try to – there's a reason the truck is going slow in the snowstorm. There's a reason you don't need to break out WRX and try to go fast in the furious uh, Tokyo Drift around these trucks because it's not going (laughs) to end well. People don't know how heavy trucks are. Like, people need to take – they need to see more, like, crash videos or something. People don't take it seriously enough.
4: I agree, and, I mean, I don't think these people understand the braking power it takes (laughs) – with 88,000 pounds truck, trailer, and freight just to be able to come to a dead stop, you know? And but specifically here in Montreal, I mean, we have have winter tire laws and regulations. So December 15th, you have to have winter tires on. If you don't, well, your insurance is not applicable at that point. But again, people think, you know, you have winter tires, you can do a lot of crazy stuff, right? That's a WRX. It is known for four-wheel drive, specifically in the snow. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, you're not superhuman, right?
1: You ever, have, you ever have a freight broker walk off a sales call like this person just did? Take a look at this tape, Sean. Look at this. Car's going down the road. Lady just gets out the door. She must have left it in drive. <laughs> she gets out the car. She just lets it go. And watch what's going to happen to the car. There's nobody steering it, right? So it cuts across the lane. And now it's going into oncoming traffic. Everybody's freaking out over here.
4: Oh, my God. Well, I think that's the—that's uh, just the. Uh, if it's too hard, too complicated, <laughs> just walk away.
1: Zinn Zin fixes that. Now, Sean, go go check out Sean over at Loyalty Logistics. Sean Laidacker on LinkedIn. He's a really nice guy I'll hook up with you. And maybe if you're really cool, he'll get you a pair of sneakers. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on What the Truck today. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy the great white north. You can find this show on Freightways' YouTube channel. Wherever you get your podcast. just look up What the Truck. Or you can find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Take care. Don't be a stranger. <laughs>